Welcome to Impasto, a podcast about two art school ladies discussing the fun bits of art history. I'm Michelle. And I'm Paige. And we are now professional art historians, and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Suggestions and comments are welcomed via email at impasto.pod at gmail.com. All right, so today I'm going to be talking about an American visual experimental artist. Her name is Carolee Schneeman. She is best known for her multimedia works on the body, narrative, sexuality, and gender. I came to know her during one of my, I want to say contemporary art class or women in art. It's one of those. My professor used her as a shock value, I guess, for the class to like waken up the whole discussion. So Carolee Schneeman did a piece known as Interior Scroll. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love this piece so much. It's wildly graphic. In front of an audience comprising mainly of women artists, <laughs> your face. Oh, Schneeman approached a long table under two dim spotlights, dressed and carrying two sheets. This is a two-part act. This is the first part. She undressed, wrapped herself in a sheet, and climbed on the table. After telling the audience she would read from her book, she dropped the sheet, retaining an apron, and applied strokes of dark paint on her face and body. While holding the book in one hand, she then read from it while adopting a series of life model action poses. She then removed the apron and slowly drew a narrow scroll. Let me repeat this. She slowly drew a narrow scroll of paper from her vagina, reading aloud from it. Oh my <laughs> God. So these images are wildly graphic. She is completely naked with strokes of paint mostly on her abdomen and straight up on her crotch. And she is reaching down and pulling a scroll of paper from her vagina. It's still attached. It's in there. As she is pulling it up towards her all the way up to her chest. Oh my God. Okay. And so (laughs) apparently... This was in response to a critic who didn't like her other performance known as Meat Joy. And I will talk about this later. So she took the scroll from her vagina and as much as I can understand, it was like an F you to this guy. Specifically him. Yes, specifically him. She actually stated it later on in 1988 that the text is a sacred letter to the American critic and art historian Annette Michelson like slammed her I want to say and was like yeah this is not art and she was like oh bet and so she was like let me put a scroll up in my womanhood and then yank it out in front of a group of people did they know that this was gonna be like part of what was happening so she's performed it I want to say she performed it twice the first time I think it was complete shock Shock. no one was expecting her to take the scroll from her vagina so she is known for wildly uncomfortable graphic performance pieces her other piece the one that the critic did not like known as meat joy was performed in new york and paris Mm -hmm. this specific piece embodied schneeman's concept of kinetic theater in which performers engaged in scored and improvised movements it's actually a film you can find it on youtube please know it's very graphic Eight performers covered in paint, paper, and paintbrushes 
crawled and writhed together, playing with raw fish, meat, and poultry. <laughs> so they're rolling around with a chicken. Yes. And it's really, I I never looked up the actual video up until today. Mm-hmm. It's super disturbing, personally. I, And not even for the reasons that people are writhing on the ground in pain. I was more disturbed by the fact that people were putting raw chicken in their mouths okay salmonella wow (laughs) i mean health concerns that's number one also the fact that it like the choice of costume maybe also freaks me out it's very (laughs) jungle-esque like the women have only underwear like they're only covering the main bits right and Mm -hmm. it's covered in like these hairy faux fur i hope it's faux fur (laughs) bikini bottoms and the men are also wearing very very similar things some of them are translucent and just uh, and like there's one part of the video where one man is like crouching down and like shaking and holding a chicken to himself it's just wild this is like the wildest art pieces i've ever seen in my life this is I can say perhaps one of the reasons that I have such a hard time with some art. (laughs) So, Michelle, before my mind explodes further from (laughs) taking in this this imagery, viewer discretion is advised. (laughs) I mean, it's... That's just really something. (laughs) Yeah. So, so tell me why... (laughs) Tell me why. (laughs) She was like this hardcore feminist. Mm -hmm. She wanted to confront gender and sexuality. And what better way. Than to roll around with a chicken? (laughs) Than to roll around. I think for shock value. Right. I think there's other things. Right. Yeah. You could do. Mm. I'm struggling (laughs) with this. Michelle. So this is the exact quote from her. For the interior scroll, I thought of the vagina in many ways, physically, conceptually, as a sculptural form, an architectural referent, the source of sacred knowledge, ecstasy, birth passage, transformation. I saw the vagina as a translucent chamber of which the serpent was an outward model, enlivened by its passage from the visible to the invisible. So she's giving birth to her ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I can respect that, but, like, to do it in front of people, like, ah, let me just yank this bad boy out. <laughs> like, right? I was more worried about, like... I mean, I paper guess, like, cuts yeah like the physical aspect of it just and also like how uncomfortable was it this woman walked Dude. into the room with a scroll up in there jumped up on a table did a whole performance and then was like haha this is the icing on the cake reached down grabbed it out and was like yup this has been in here the whole time why what would have happened hypothetically speaking if uh did she have to do a few like test runs to make sure she wouldn't get paper cuts, you know, to make sure that you know? it went uh, <laughs> according to plan? Like, I'm just trying to think about this in a way and like try to understand it in like an artistic way, but never once in my artistic approach to things was I ever so, been. Let me just sh- shove it up. According there. 
according to Schneeman, by using the naked body as a material for art, she exposed and confronted a social range of current cultural taboos and repressive conventions. Well, I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> I think she is iconic in her own atmosphere. I mean, <laughs> she did it. Could Push you imagine? Let me set the scene, Michelle. It's whatever, whatever freaking year this was. And you and your significant other, you're like, let's go on a sophisticated date tonight. Let's go to this gallery. I hear there's this really awesome art piece from this really crazy lady. I bet it's cool. And then you're standing there and she's yanking things out of her lady bits. And you just have to stand there and you're like, what? And your significant other's now like, you're never allowed to pick the date night again. <laughs> like, and this is all in a response to a critic not liking the Weird Fish movie. Yeah, it's Meat Joy. Meat Joy oh. in response of not liking Meat Joy. She then was, I guess she was like, you know what? You didn't understand the point of it. Let me show you what <laughs> me, is the point, I let guess. Let me shove it up my vagina. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Let me, no, let me take it out, it out of my vagina. Of my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So Meat Joy was performed in the 1960s. She made a print of it. Yeah, I see the print everywhere. Yeah. Was that up in a vagina? I mean, it looks a little water stained, so I mean, I just don't want to think about it. So, no, she actually, with this, the actual print, mm -hmm. she, basically, she did the print herself, and then she mixed it with, like, beet juice, urine. Okay. Oh, and no! <laughs> <laughs> and, like, she completely made it her own. Obviously. <laughs> okay, so, I'm noticing a thing. Mm -hmm. I am wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> I bet our listeners are as well. They're like, Michelle, out of all of the artists in the world. You just love feces. You're just like, yeah, <laughs> piss on it, shit in it. And the rest of us are like, what? Yeah. Why? I just enjoy the idea that this woman was like, I'm going to push the boundaries. Uh, Pollock took some jank well. ass paint. <laughs> cigarette buds and threw them on some terrible canvas and was like art and everyone loved it but then when carolee schneeman rubs meat all over random people's bodies it's looked out i don't think that it was the meat that was my issue my issue is the weird up bits <laughs> i i don't want to i i just don't want to okay but but this comes like almost 10 years after yeah. meet joy so yeah. i wonder if people Ooh. liked her before that they were like oh my gosh she's so iconic she is one of a kind and now they saw and then they saw interior scroll and they're like maybe not <laughs> they're like oh yeah i love her work and then they saw it and then they were like Oh my god. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. That's that's who I wanted to share with you today, Paige. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I mean, oh no, I found a really bad one. It's like she's making out with a cat. Oh my god, Michelle. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god, Michelle. Carolee Schneeman making out with a cat? Oh my god. Okay, Infinity Kisses. Oh! 
Ursula. Oh, I actually. What the I remember heck. another thing about her. One of my art history professors met her. And she said she was really weird. <laughs> I would have never guessed. So apparently my art history professor was working at an art gallery and Carolee Schneeman walked up in there because they were exhibiting one of her pieces. And she was showing her around and she was whispering into her backpack every time she talked to her. No. She was like, "Why? what's happening? And it no. turns out. The cat no. was in her backpack. The I mean, whole I'm all for time. it. <laughs> so they were, I think she was actually looking at that piece or something. They were going, like, that's something to do with the thousand kisses. And my professor was like, you know, it sounds so cute, a thousand kisses with your cat. That's so cute. And then she was like, no, she's like making out with her cat. And it's. Yes, 1000% making out with the cat. Well, yeah. Oh my God. I know. Yeah, I forgot about that. Thank you for bringing that up. I completely oh my forgot God. that bit of information. She's Michelle! A, she's a definite character, for sure. I mean, I'm not above putting my cat in a backpack and taking it to an art gallery. No, I'm not above that. I'm I'm not open yeah. mouth, make open out. Mouth, kissing your cat, yeah. I don't know. I feel like if you're going to bring your cat around in a backpack, maybe do one that's appropriate. Yeah. Maybe let people know you have a cat. That's where you draw backpack. the line, Michelle? That's that's where you draw the line. Yeah, because the other ones are in the sake of art. But, <gasps> like, animal abuse is where I draw the line. <laughs> Which, I mean, that wasn't the only cat she was abusing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, she's strange. Strange woman. Performance art. I guess it's for me personally, and this has nothing to do with her. I mean, yes, she creeps me out, but <laughs> she has the confidence to do that kind of thing. Then more power to her. However, I do not. I have crippling social anxiety. I am like, tr like the internal um embarrassment like the secondhand embarrassment of me mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I, I know it's not me i know i would never do that but like in my head i'm like oh my god <laughs> just oh my god so you like, would not go to that show no i would <laughs> i would die on the floor i would fall down She'd start reaching, and I'd be like, oh! <laughs> I would be, like, frozen. I wouldn't know what to do, but I wouldn't be able to look away. I already know. I would just be, like, what? terrified. I raise you this question. How is this different than the crackhead in 7-Eleven pulling out her tampon? <laughs> because this this is intention art. of art. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, yes, but No. <laughs> She did it. I mean, everyone knew they were like people. I guess people paid money to come up, watch this show, and they were like, "Oh, it's a performance art piece," and then they got to see that. And plus, I feel like it's so shocking today. We're just yeah. Like, oh my god, can you imagine? Like in the sixties, seventies, like I feel like there was a different mindset, and also, I mean, hey, honestly, you can go on the internet and see a lot of things. Yeah. Whereas, like, in the 60s and 70s, you had to go, like, Playboy to maybe see something beyond your own, like, spouse's whatever. <laughs> so, I guess, like, to just walk up in an art gallery and be like, oh, this is nice. And then just <laughs> see that on the table. You're like, oh. 
Could you imagine being a gallery worker and you're like, I'm working with fine art, with paintings and sculpture. And then it's like, great, here's your first assignment. You're going to help this lady make out with her cat. You're going to help this lady pull something out of her lady bits. Excuse me. What? (laughs) I went and got a degree for this to go work in a museum and have somebody pull something out of her coochie <laughs> imagine the money flow though people would be coming in once mm. they heard of this i just i'm really struggling <laughs> with the I idea knew you would that's another reason i chose it i was like if Paige struggled with artists shit i hope that she's gonna love this Schneeman. one will just rock her world. I don't know where this was in my contemporary art class, <laughs> but I am monumentally grateful that I didn't have to sit in a room with like 200 art kids while somebody, and then them be like, oh, I'm going to do that. And then oh I have to go God. to some show for a class that's mandatory, and they're like, yanking stuff out. <laughs> I just... I just, no, I think my class, it was a lecture, and mm-hmm. there's about 50 other people in that class, I'd say, mm-hmm. and then when my professor, she was like, just to give a warning, this is graphic in nature, and then she clicked the slideshow, and we were all, and the whole room went, great. <gasps> 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 oh. God, there's just, there's so many levels to this, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. again, let us remember our parents listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hi, mom. Hi, Hi mom. mom. Oh, God. Be you glad it could have been worse. <laughs> could it? What's worse? Well, no, I could have been worse. Oh, wow. You could have been worse. We could have been yanking stuff out. You're in right. Public. I know. Like, at least our degrees haven't pushed us in that area. We're like, let's do a podcast. I feel like that's a much more reasonable expectation or, like, a reaction, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great yeah. road to go down. You know, I love art, so I'm going to talk about it. I'm not going to pull it out of my hoo-ha in public. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Lord. I wouldn't put it past me. I'd do it. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I would not go to the show. <laughs> I wouldn't expect uh, anyone to go to that show. <laughs> well, maybe it'd be creepy people, I guess. Oh, what if there's creepy people watching her show? Like, did was it people that were close to her? Was it randoms? Oh. Like, was it like her close friends? And they were like, go, Carolee. I'm so <laughs> proud of you right now. <laughs> You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> and she's like, you guys watch this. <laughs> It's an art project. (laughs) No. Come support me in my artistic expression, you guys. What if somebody thought it was just another film? They just walk in. See, my brain is thinking of all of these weird possibilities of all these people, like, just walking in on this type of moment. I hope she was okay, mentally. (laughs) I don't think she was. I mean. She seems a bit off. I mean, just a bit. (laughs) Just a bit. Oh my god. Well, thank you for that. You're Whatever welcome. that was. Yeah, I'm super glad to have shared Schneeman with you. Glad to now know it. And uh <laughs> It isn't it's her. Her her name is Schneeman. 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, Paige, are you ready to dive into some art history trivia? I need a pal. All right, Paige, take it away. <clears throat> Michelle, what artist was sentenced to death by the Pope after killing a man? Um, what are my options, Paige? You have Titian, Francisco Goya, Albrecht Dürer, or Caravaggio. Caravaggio. Yes, ma'am, you are correct. On the 29th of May, in a mere 1606, Caravaggio killed, possibly unintentionally, a young man named something very Italian. <laughs> The circumstances of the brawl remain shrouded in mystery, though several contemporary newspapers referred to the quarrel as a gambling debt in a tennis duel. Another fun fact, Michelle. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to tack this on the end here because I love it so much. He was eventually pardoned by the Pope Aww. and the Vatican. And they were like, mm, we'll let it slide if you come do more work. And he was like, Okay, I'm about it. So he was on his way back to Rome when he was mysteriously murdered. Ooh. Yes, man. history murders. I love it. He was murdered. They sent out a, a little investigator from the Pope to go, you know, take a look, see, see what they could find. And mm -hmm. uh, they didn't release the findings until like 10 years ago. What were, what were the findings? I don't know. I haven't looked. Ma'am. <laughs> You really gotta just leave me on that. <laughs> Somebody's gonna talk about Caravaggio's conspiracy death. Oh, right. Your turn, madame. What American artist is known for paintings of flags? Um, Jeff Koons. Um, he did Bryce, the balloons. <laughs> Bryce Marden, Jasper Johns, or Robert Ryman? This is Jasper Johns? Correct. Yes, Jasper Johns is an American painter, sculptor, and printmaker associated with abstract expressionism, neo-dada, and pop art. His early works were composed using simple schema, such as flags, maps, targets, letters, and numbers. In 1980, the Whitney Museum of American Art paid $1 million for three flags, then the highest price ever paid for the work of a living artist. So he, like, broke a record and then lost that record. Immediately to Jeff Koons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeff Koons came in and was like, LOL. LOL, psych, you had your moment. <laughs> okay, now now I know, looking at, looking at the flag, uh, it's like the... Flags stepped on top of each other. It's like three of them, I think. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, Jasper does. I always remember him with the numbers. He has, like, multicolored letters or numbers, like, stacked up, and it's, like, lines of them. He's still alive. Oh, shit. He is 90 years old. This man Oh, excuse is... me. 91. He's from Georgia. Oh. Go He's next go door. This individual. Like, excuse me, sir? <laughs> How did it feel to lose your record? <laughs> oh, my God. I really like this one. What artist's work has been stolen more than any others? Our options today, we have Rembrandt, mm -hmm. who's a, apparently a turd of a person. Rembrandt. I didn't know that, but apparently he's a terrible guy. 
Got it. All right. Leonardo da Vinci, the king of procrastination. We have Mm -hmm. dubbed him. Pablo Picasso. No comment. And Edward Munch. Who do you think's work has been stolen the most? The most? The most. Probably. I don't think it's Leonardo da Vinci. I don't think it's him. Just because, like, the Mona Lisa. I feel like she's been stolen a lot, though. She was stolen, like, twice. Is that a lot? Is that a lot for a painting to be stolen twice? I mean, it's more than most others have been stolen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm gonna... Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm gonna say Picasso. Just... I'm not a fan, but I have a so many other people love him, and he's, he's probably been stolen. <laughs> he's so special. Uh, yes, Michelle Picasso uh-huh. has had more of his paintings stolen than any other artist. The Art Loss Register has 550 of his works listed as missing. Well, I guess that's what happens when you make just Wait, a whole how bunch many? of... 550 are missing 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 they just how do you how do you how does it go missing well i guess when you just hundred when you just create like just a whole bunch of you know garbage you misplace it every once in a while you're like oh yeah it was it was art man my sketch on a napkin oh you're right you know what that makes a lot of sense all right with respect sorta it's not Mm. I don't know. I'm glad we have like a mutual agreement that Picasso, he's I. He's I, like, I think I he's overrated. I think he he's is. overrated. I'm he sorry. I think we can sorry. totally have a discussion on that one day. Oh, on yeah. Like reasons why Picasso's we're just overrated. We're not huge fans. I feel like a lot of art history people can all agree that Picasso is not as amazing. Yeah. And so many other people are like, ooh, Picasso. And also, he's so, he's not that old. Like, I no. think like, Picasso is like hundreds centuries. Years old. Yeah. Picasso's <laughs> like Van Gogh. Everyone's like, centuries ago. No. It's like One barely century. two. Barely yeah, two al- centuries. Almost two, almost two for Van Gogh. But Picasso is like within the past hundred years. Yeah. He's within our lifetimes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, is he still alive? No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. My God. <laughs> With respect. With respect. <laughs> With respect, thank God. <laughs> okay, Paige, you ready for the last question? Yes. Which of the following is mm. a famous work of pointillism? Okay. Mm. Scream. Girl with a pearl earring. American Gothic. Or a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. Is that the one with, it's like a beautiful pixelation, basically. Like, it looks like it's pixelated. Is that yes. it? Yes. Oh! Yes. Are you going with the Sunday afternoon? Yes, I am. Yes, that is it. Slurot, contrasted miniature dots, or small brush strokes of colors that were, that when unified optically in the human eye, were perceived as a single shade or hue. Hmm. So like the little dots make yeah, the point. Yeah. Yes. Of so if you get up really close to one of his paintings, your eyes are going to do weird things. Like you can't focus on it. But as you take several steps back, your yeah. eye starts to then focus on the painting. Hmm. Yes. I wish I could see. That is one that I would love to see in person. Yeah. I think it's in Chicago, I want to say. Really? Oh, I road say, trip. I, 
I want to say it's in Chicago. It's either that or New York, but I feel like it's in Chicago. I'll just, I'll have to look it up. But yes, I do want to see. We should do a trip. To- a trip. Can you imagine though, like a road trip for art history museums? Can we go to like Chicago and then we can go to New York? Oh my gosh. That's like my dream in life. Just We could go to the Louvre and we could write a letter to Mona Lisa. Oh, God, no, not the Mona Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Very well. All right, Paige, I am so excited to hear. I'm so so excited to share. Educate me, friends. Educate me. Michelle, today I will be talking about Heinrich Kuhn. I know Kuhn for the balloons. Wrong one. Oh. That's not the same. <laughs> okay, so I don't know this person. Not the balloon man. <laughs> Today, but first, I raise a question. When do you think color film was created? Color film was created? Oh, gosh. I want to say, like, early 1900s. I want to say that. But I feel like it's probably wrong. Yeah. Wait, is this okay. a painting or photograph? It's a photograph! I'm so excited! <laughs> color film has actually been around, or color prints, let me say that. Color in photography has actually been used as early as 1858, and the camera was, like, finalized and, like, created fully in 1813, 16 area, but it... Color film and what we know today and think of as color photography wasn't until the 1930s. So you're right and wrong. Right (laughs) and wrong. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Heinrich Kuhn is an Austrian-German photographer and photographic pioneer. He was born in 1866, so he is on the very end bit, the Victorian era. Lovely things that were happening with that. He used several techniques... And that's what I want to talk about first so that we can understand the gravity of his work. He's not fully known or recognized, perhaps because he just was one of a massive amount of artists in this time that were working and creating photographic work. He was one of the pictorialists, which I feel like is a blanket term for mm-hmm. anyone that was doing photography in the end of the 19th century. I think that there are several different levels mm-hmm. and fields that everybody was working in, but for some reason they're like, oh, they're all pictorialists. They didn't give them the time of day in the art world to divide them up into separate categories. Like, oh, well, mm-hmm. they're doing pre-Raphaelite work. They're doing Impressionist work. It was very... So it was very much like a beginning of a movement. Didn't mm-hmm. have, like, an idea of how to, like, distinguish them. They were kind of just like, let's do an umbrella term and we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still to this day, like, there's not terms for these different types of photographers because everybody's just lumped in together. But if you take a look at Stieglitz's work, who is poster boy of the pictorialist movement... His work looks nothing like this. This is on another level. So let me let me tell you about it, Michelle. I'm so, so it's very scientific, and I am not a scientist. <laughs> so forgive me if I say things incorrectly. He was known for using um, gum prints, which uses the gum of Arabic to create color images. And this was happening as early as 1858. And the quality of these prints now is on par with that of a color digital camera. But it's just very cumbersome. 
So basically what happens is, is the gum, it's mixed with pigment and often in the separate colors. So it's very much like kind of a screen print type of movement. So the whole canvas or the whole like printing paper is saturated in this pigment mix and then it's exposed to light like a negative a black and white negative is laid on top of it directly it's a contact print exposed to light they wash it and then they move on to the next color takes like seven or eight of these trips with these colors and these layers and washings but the prints are just phenomenal like they just look so amazing like I just don't know how else to put it (laughs) like they're just beautiful (laughs) and so they were doing that in this time, they f- had found out a way to do that. And so there are color prints and color photography predating the autochrome in 1907, which is what you might be thinking of, the very dull. It's yeah. very dreamy, dreamy quality. Yeah. So that happens later, but there is one in, in between those that he uses and utilizes. It's the photo grave. It was a French process. It was very much like printmaking. So it's kind of like an etching Onto the autochrome type of printing that he was doing. It was in 1907 and it was by the Lumiere brothers. And it was used until 1930s whenever true color film started to get made. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh no, you know, photography's been black and white since, you know, the 80s. No, it's been, it's been in color a lot longer than you think hot minute yeah so almost immediately after photography was created and and film was a thing that could be done people are like well where's the color i want it colored i don't think that i have the technical brain to describe what an autochrome is but it is basically something to do with potato starch and varnish and different pigments so we're just gonna leave it at that it was fancy it was new it was a big deal because it i don't think it was as crazy as the gum of Arabic. Those were some that got primarily the most love and affection from the art photography world of people. Yeah. They were like, wow, you did so good. We love it. His autochromes specifically have been called ethereal dreams of childhood, full of vaulted sunny skies and giddy perspectives as gloriously cathartic as they are emotionally charged. Ooh. I don't know about you, but I just love every bit of that. Yeah, that was an amazing, <laughs> like, description. I was like, wow. Yeah. They didn't say it's an expression. <laughs> I'm glad of you for using your words. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> His approach, specifically to photography, is very different than the others that we will see during this time, like Stieglitz and Steichen and... All is his it because of the method bros. that he used or is it because of like his personal style with photography? It's a little bit of both. So he was an inventor and mm-hmm. I would love to tell you about all of the things that he did that were in use until relatively recently. In the 1910s, he developed a soft focus lens that continued to be sold into the 1990s. He began writing about photographic technique for trade magazines. In 1911, he invented the gumme grave technique, a combination of photograve and gum bichromate, which is the one with all the layers. 
Gotcha. So okay. he mixed them together and he was like, oh, we're going to do both. In 1915, he developed the Leimdruck technique, which uses animal glue as coleoid and produces pictures similar to gum prints. Do I know what any of that means? No. But he did it. Also invented the syngraphy, a forgotten technique that uses two negatives of different sensitivity to obtain a larger tonal spectrum in order to approximate the normal vision experience. So pretty much he would shoot one really high and then shoot one really low in the exposure ranges so that there are darker and deeper shadows and lighter and brighter lights. He was trying to encompass like all of the ranges because especially back then in the 1800s, in the early 1900s, it was very limited on what you could do with a camera. In 1934, he received a patent for a film with increased light sensitivity. So this would play into his syngraphy method of doing things so that it allowed for those tonal ranges to be captured on the film. His approach to taking a photograph is actually very, very, very different than most others. His lifelong goal was to establish the photographic image as a medium for rendering an artistic vision as precisely and creatively as in painting and drawing. He loved the Impressionists. And if you look at his work, knowing that in your brain, you can see it. That, okay, it that is does make sense. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, he loved it. He was see, there like for the it. fields and stuff. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. The women sense. blowing in the wind, yep. like Monet. Yeah, I I'm mean, very Monet vibes from this. We see it. We can connect those dots. He was known as a deliberate photographer, sketching out his compositions before forehand and posing his children in a special photo wardrobe of black and white clothing. He would sketch a composition out and then he would get his little chillins and be like, all right, lay there in the grass like this. Don't move. Oh, see, like I, I would never, I know you like sketch out your ideas for like paintings and things like that, but I've never thought about it for like a photographer. I kind of just see it in my head and I'm like, we're good. And then I try to take the shot. I've never thought to one, draw it out. Two, do like specific uniforms, like black and white, you said. So that's interesting, too, because like he's choosing the outfits for his, you know, his models, his children, and it's black and white, but it's technically he's doing color, though, right? Some most some stuff is in color. Some stuff is very like very low tonal ranges, like for okay. color. But it was definitely intentional. It was him trying to play with the tones. A lot of the works are titled like a, a study in value or a study in tone or a study in shadows. So when you go in and you look at it, he's treating these like as sketches. He, and it's chef's kiss. Beautiful. So Heinrich Kuhn is regarded as one of the forefathers of fine art photography, a movement that helped photography to establish itself as an art on its own. His work closely resembles the Impressionist paintings from their, their frequent soft light and focus. So again, they say, oh, well, he's a pictorialist. Just because he worked in the same time as them doesn't make him a, a pictorialist. A little bit about him so that we can understand like his mindset behind these types of images is that he was the grandson of a sculptor, but he studied painting and music after a brief military stint, probably First World War, if I had to guess, looking mm -hmm. at the time variant here. And he studied medicine and science. 
and he didn't like it. I think he was like in for medical stuff, but back then medical, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, was it really? So he, he decided he wanted to do photography in 1890. That's when his experiments truly began. He's just a great example of the type of artist that was working back then, especially with photography, that it wasn't just about the art. It was about also pushing it to the limit and developing, ha ha, pun intended, developing the idea of photography into something more. He's best known for a lot of the work that he did in color. And that's what got him noticed by the group, uh, the Vienna Camera Club, which is a really big group in Vienna. Uh, There's a lot of the Central European photographers that were involved in that. That's where he met and started mm -hmm. to get noticed by Alfred Stieglitz, who was like, was basically the granddaddy of photography. Like if you study, Kuhn also belonged in this very fancy boys club. I like to say it was like a bunch of dudes just getting together. It was called the Viennese Trifolium. So after that, he entered another boys club, which I dig the vibe of. It's called the Linked Ring. He won a medal for his artistic photography from the club in 1896, and then he was also exhibited in another London salon, and then he was asked to join the Brotherhood. So, like, mm -hmm. we like your stuff. Join us. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so it was a British photographic society um, created to propose and defend, not just propose, but to defend. That photography was just as much as art as it was a science, motivated to propelling photography further into the art world. Yep. I love it. So they were like, we are here and we are smarter than you mm -hmm. because it's hard to do this, which is very true. Definitely heard of the argument of, you know, like, especially early on, people were like, photography is not an art form. Whereas it is. People really had to fight for it and be like, no, it is. It's just, just because it's a different media you've never seen doesn't mean it's not art. And mm -hmm. I think we can relate today yeah. where there's a lot of pushback for, you know, craft versus fine art. Mm -hmm. So many people today are just like, is resin an art form or is, you know, like embroidery an art form? So I, I definitely feel like they were like the early on version of is this considered a type of art so i really like that that they were defending it they're like no we are but i feel like there's always going to be pushback whenever a new form of uh, a new mode of creativity comes up like you said earlier it's about intent you're right intentional art Yes. That's also, after he gets inducted into this boys club, Alfred Stieglitz is like, yo, bro, you want to join mine? <laughs> which was basically just a ripoff of the linked ring, which obviously has such a cooler name uh, <laughs> than uh, photo session. This is how I noted it in my notes. It was the American ripoff of the linked ring. <laughs> so in 1907, he officially met with the group of the pictorialists that were the head of the operation, basically Frank Eugene, Edward Steichen, and Stieglitz, Alfred. Oh, so Stieglitz. he did interact with them. He wasn't he one, but he did interact. Okay, he did interact. Cool. So they they got together and learned how to do the autochrome process. So the the new Lumiere brother method of um, he had perfected the process enough in three years to have his work presented. In camera work, which is Stieglitz's publication at the time, and it was three issues devoted to his pictures. Like, they were like, we love it so much. Also created that division because he wasn't going to create work that 
they wanted um because the pictorialists they were like oh no we need to like move forward we need to be more modern and like what we're taking pictures of like we don't need to be trying to be painting so i think that that's where they began to divide it was because they're like we're trying to be our own thing but you can still be interesting in approaching this style with a photograph mm -hmm. kunz's work is considered impressionism Hmm. because of the treatment of the subject Interesting. There's a couple that I would like to talk to you about today from Heinrich Kuhn. First, we have a black and white image of his. As we can see, she's showing some shoulder. She's got a big old hat on. The tones and the shadows that are caught in this white dress are just amazing. Like, I just don't know what it is about this picture that I love so much. I think it might be the contrast between the background and the foreground and her dress and all the ruffles and the frills. Like it's very easy to tell that she's got this ethereal gown on Mm -hmm. and then she's got that just awesome hat. It's Mm -hmm. just so great. It's like shadowing her face, but you can still see her face. It's just chef's kiss. I love 10 out of 10. I just know I'm looking at this photograph right now and it's it's really pretty. It's so like delicate. It's Mm -hmm. like the photograph matches her. It's there's very soft looking. The dress looks like something I would wear to like brunch honestly or like it's something you see in modern day especially with that hat. Like it's it's definitely one of those hats we see today with you know like the Instagram girls you know Mm -hmm. talking Mm-hmm. yeah and so i think maybe we it's easily to like relate to this especially like the sassy like slightly looking over her shoulder i love it very it's awesome yeah very cozy <laughs> i love it Sorry. i think it was originally titled uh a study in values mm-hmm. so that is one of those that we kind of discussed earlier about how he approached everything very painterly he approached everything as if it was a drawing very impressionistic styles and things like that like i feel like this could very easily have been some type of expressionist painting because when when we say impressionist we only we think monet there are actually several different people that actually painted portraits just in the impressionistic style and they're a little odd to say the least but i think that this would have fit right into that so the next one that i want to show you is actually one in color that i love probably more than anything like i feel like this is such a vibe just the the sepia (laughs) tone is just unbelievable and at first you don't realize it's in color and then you start Mm -hmm. to really look at the image and then you see the color in the in the rug on the floor you see the warm wood of the of the bureau (laughs) to the side and then her belt the purple belt i love it it's so like like you said the longer you stare at it the more you notice the color and i love that because because when you first look at you're like oh it's a black and white whatever but then as you stare at it you're slowly drawn into his world it looks so calm and serene it reminds Mm -hmm. me of like early sunday morning it looks very soft very like cozy yeah i love it and like there's i love like the wood the rug like you were saying it i love it and of course at the very center is the belt please tell me tell me about this some more yes so i mean it just plays fully on that rule of thirds that we love 
oh so much for those non-artists uh, the rule of thirds is basically the guidelines that make a painting or a picture enjoyable to look at so it falls on one of the thirds of the horizontal and the vertical split but she's leaned up on the middle of the image against that bureau and then that whole side like the left side of the picture is all light and then the right side is all dark it's all shadow so it's very balanced even though it doesn't follow a perfect rule of thirds mm -hmm. she's following a very delicate balance in this uh and like you mentioned her belt is at the very very center of the image so whatever you look at you're always drawn back to the center which is that purple belt and i just want to say one last one last thing about this beautiful image you know those weird excerpts in movies where it's like and then the wife dies <laughs> oh, yes this is this is that moment you know like the windows are open and the curtains are blowing in and she's giggling and she ah. turns and she looks at him and she's oh my love i cannot wait for us to be together again and then she's dead oh, influenza wow. see i was getting more sass because her hand oh. is on her hip, yeah. and she looks like she's about to cuss him out for making them late to church. <laughs> she's going to turn around and hellfire and burn Like, this stone. is like, like, he has a moment of peace before he gets his ass chewed by his wife. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I've been waiting on you all morning. Yes. She's like, I have been dressed and ready to go for the past 10 minutes. You're over here taking pictures. Let's go. <laughs> Because you know back then it was not not an yeah. easy or yeah. quick process. <laughs> That's him in a, in a nutshell. I feel like those two are some of my favorites. Um, and I believe Mary Warner, the person that is pictured in both of these images here, I believe that it's his wife. I was not able to find a source that neither confirmed nor denied that being his wife. But she's in almost every single study of his. She's also in the pictures with his children. But it doesn't say his wife and children. It says Mary Warner and children and his children. So mm. I have no idea. But, but then again, it, the focus of his photographs wasn't necessarily portraiture like a lot of the other pho photographers at this time. His mm -hmm. was to be a study in color and a study in values and just him trying to express his, I guess, painterly abilities in, a, in an image because I don't think that he painted these two images don't necessarily summarize up his entire body of work. Um, his other really great and interesting images are in a really shocking amount of color. And I suggest that y'all go out and y'all look because they are just phenomenal. You really question when it was made because your brain goes, that's color. That's mm -hmm. the 90s. But in actuality, it is the 1912s. And it's just so different than a lot of the other stuff that we're seeing coming out of this time period, especially mm -hmm. with artists that were part of the pictorialist movement. Because mm -hmm. like we said, it's an umbrella term. That is Heinrich Kuhn, Michelle. Thank you for that page. It's my pleasure. <laughs> love to love to hear about it. All right. I think that about wraps it up for today, right? I think it sure does. Well, follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. Any suggestions, comments, or anything you'd like to say to us is welcomed on our Gmail, impasto.pod at gmail.com. Thank All you so right. much for listening. Thanks so much for listening. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.